Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Drew Crime. I'm your host, Drew V, and on this episode, I will be covering the unexplainable disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Now, Brian's case is an unsolved missing persons case, and this story has definitely left me completely stumped on what may have happened to Brian. Brian was a second-year college med student at The Ohio State University who went missing after 1.57 a.m. on April 1st, 2006 in Columbus, Ohio. And Brian was last seen on surveillance camera out front of a college bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which was located about six blocks from where Brian had lived off of campus at the time. Brian's night would start out like any other college kid getting ready to leave for spring break, but unfortunately would not be the start of the spring break that Brian or his loved ones were ever hoping for. This disappearance story basically comes down to a guy walking into a bar, and then we don't know for sure if he ever walked out. Brian Schaefer literally vanished into thin air. As the story unfolds, tragedy would strike Brian's family and loved ones again and again, and still to this day, the Schaefers haven't heard any new leads in Brian's case, and it's now been 15 years since Brian has disappeared. There are a couple of podcasts that I highly recommend viewers to listen to on this case, and these two podcasts really give you a good in-depth look into Brian's disappearance. The first podcast is called Comeback, The Disappearance of Brian Schaefer, and then the second podcast people should listen to on this case is called Brian Schaefer, Dead or Alive, and on these podcasts you will hear real-life interviews with people involved in Brian's case, and I do feel these two podcasts are the best source of information I've found researching the Brian Schaefer case. There are many different theories out there as to what may have happened to Brian Schaefer, but any leads to prove these theories thus far have all fallen flat. It's been said by people that Brian just decided to take off that night after the bar closed because he wanted to start a new life. Others say that Brian left the bar that night and may have met some type of foul play on his way home. And there's even others who think Brian may have fallen victim to an accident in a construction area that surrounded the Ugly Tuna Bar at the time of his disappearance. Only problem with all these theories is that Brian was never found inside the building or seen leaving the bar that night. This case doesn't have a whole lot of information out there, and it is still an open case, but the Columbus Police Department has only released so much up to this point. So please continue to join me on this episode as I narrow down all the theories in this case and really try to figure out a possible conclusion that may fit into all of this. This is True Crime, Episode 4, Brian Schaefer. Remorse for what? You people have done everything in the world to me. Doesn't that give me equal right? I can do anything I want to you people at any time I want to, because that's what you've done to me. If you spit in my face and smack me in the mouth and throw me in solitary confinement for nothing, what do you think's gonna happen when I get out of here? A serial killer comes about by circumstances and like a, a recipe poverty, drugs, child abuse. These things, you know, contribute to a person, to a person's frustration and anger. At some point in life, he explodes. Even random people that we've never met have more of an outlook on this than I do right now. It's really sad. It's really, really sad that I literally have nothing right now. Nothing. Now, just a reminder that all my Drew Crime episodes can be found online on many different platforms. And also, don't forget to check out my YouTube videos that I put together to go along with my podcast episodes as well. 
And if for any reason someone would just like to discuss or ask me any questions about a case that I cover, I can be reached at Facebook, Twitter, or you can just email me at drewcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Now, before we start the story of the night Brian would disappear, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about Brian's life before that night. Brian Schaefer was 27 years old, again a second-year med student at The Ohio State University. He was a good-looking guy, free-spirited, charming, flirtatious, athletic, and Brian really did have a passion for music, just so much that he owned a few different nice guitars, had been in a garage band with some high school friends, and he also got a Stickman Pearl Jam tattoo on his upper right arm. Even though Brian was a medical student at the time of his disappearance, it's been said by many that Brian's main goal in life was to sit by the beach, play music, and drink margaritas. Three weeks before Brian would disappear, tragedy would first strike the Schaefer family, and Brian's mom, Renee, would lose her battle to cancer. From what I understand, Brian had a very close relationship with his mother, and Brian did not take Renee's death very well. So after Renee's passing, the Schaefer family now consisted of Brian, his dad Randy, and his younger brother Derek. Also, Brian had a girlfriend at the time, Alexis Wagner, who was also a med student at the same university, and Alexis would actually be visiting family in Toledo, Ohio. On that Friday night, Brian would disappear. And a few days later, the couple did have plans to spend their spring vacation in Miami, but since Brian would vanish days before, their trip would never happen. So it seemed that Brian had a lot on his plate leading into his disappearance, but was everything in his life just too much for Brian to handle, so he just decided to take off and start a new life? Well, it's something that certainly seems very plausible in this case, but after 15 years of no sign of Brian, I start to believe that the secret of Brian's disappearance may not be kept by Brian, but instead maybe by someone Brian knows. Now I'm going to go ahead and get into the story of the night that Brian disappeared while stopping at certain main points to discuss them further, and then I will follow up with the main theories that have been discussed in this case, and then just share my speculations and opinions on these theories. So Brian Schaefer's story would start out on Friday, March 31st, 2006 in Columbus, Ohio. Brian had plans to meet his father at Outback Steakhouse for dinner that evening, and Brian had also invited his younger brother Derek to come along. But Derek would politely decline his invitation, for Derek and his now wife had tickets that night to the Funny Bone Comedy Club. So Brian and his father were at dinner. They eat, they converse, but by the end of the meal, Brian's father is convinced his son seems exhausted and a little out of sorts, and this was probably the result of Brian cramming all night for finals before spring break. So Brian's dad Randy suggests that Brian take it easy for the night, but Brian didn't want to stay in and relax, so after the two finished dinner, Brian decided to go back to his apartment, where he would then meet up with his friend at the time, William Clint Florence, who in this story will be referred to as Clint, and then the two had decided to go bar hopping in the South Campus area. At around 9pm, Brian and Clint would start the night out at their first bar, which just so happened to be the Ugly Tuna Saluna, but this would not be the only time that night these two would stop here for drinks. After having drinks at the Ugly Tuna, the two proceeded to two other bars that night, where they would then be accompanied by Clint's friend Meredith Reed. During this time, Brian calls his then-girlfriend Alexis Wagner and they have a brief discussion. Brian seems happy during the call, they do their goodbyes and hang up. Then after Meredith arrived to meet Brian and Clint, the three left the bar they were at and went back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna, arriving at 1.15am. When the trio arrived at the bar, they then had to take an escalator that led them to the front door of the Ugly Tuna, which was on the second floor of the building. In the front of the bar, security surveillance picked up the three entering the bar. 
Once inside the bar, the three decided to grab a table and order some drinks. This is when the three are then accompanied by two other college girls at the bar that Clint knew, and those girls' names were Brighton and Amber. So the group continued to drink until last call, they paid their tabs, and as everyone in the bar was getting ready to exit the Ugly Tuna, surveillance then picked up Brian and the two girls talking outside the front door of the bar. After having a quick conversation, Brian then decided to go back into the bar, and this would actually be the last time we ever see Brian Schaefer again. And during this time, there were no cameras inside the actual bar. Just moments after Brian went back into the bar, at 2am, friends Clint and Meredith then came outside of the Ugly Tuna. And with no sign of Brian anywhere, Meredith called Brian's phone, which then went to voicemail, and Meredith left a message asking, where are you? Well, after Brian hadn't responded, Meredith and Clint waited a few more moments, and then the two decided Brian had just left, so they walked back to the parking garage where Meredith's car was parked and drove off at 2.09am. At this time, Clint was house-sitting for a professor at the university, and this is where Clint and Meredith would stay for the night, and their alibis after the bar would check out. So later the next morning on Saturday, Clint and Meredith would wake up, and Meredith would drive Clint back to his car, which was left at Brian's apartment from the night before. Clint then got into his own car and drove off, while Brian's car still remained in his parking spot at his apartment. Though Brian had disappeared on them the night before, both Meredith and Clint did not physically check to see if Brian was at his apartment that following morning. So I'm just going to stop the story here and talk a little bit more about Clint and Meredith. It's been widely speculated that Clint may know something more about Brian's disappearance, and the main reason for this speculation is later on police would ask Clint to take a polygraph about the night that Brian disappeared, but Clint would decline. I agree with many others in this case that if I were Clint, I would have refused the polygraph as well. Because if Clint fails that polygraph, he now becomes the main suspect, even if he didn't have anything to do with Brian's disappearance. Meredith was also asked to take a polygraph about that night, and she accepted and passed. And at this time, both Meredith and Clint had lawyered up as well. Now, it's been said that on a couple of different occasions that Clint and Brian had gotten into a few arguments with each other at the bar. And on one of the occasions, it was said to be on St. Patty's Day that same year. And then the other occasion was said to be on the night Brian disappeared. So whether or not these arguments mean anything in this case, there's still certainly some things that Clint did to bring some suspicion towards him. But I personally cannot find anything in this case that says Clint or Meredith had anything to do with Brian's disappearance. Now, getting back to our story, in the meantime, on Saturday afternoon, Brian's girlfriend, Alexis, would call Brian's phone, but no answer. And at this point, Alexis wasn't too worried about Brian, and she thought he may just still be sleeping it off from the night before. But then Sunday slowly approached, and still no sign of Brian. So Alexis called Brian's dad, Randy, to let him know she hadn't heard from Brian, and after no one was able to reach Brian, they filed a missing person report around 7pm with the Columbus Police Department. Then Monday came, and even though Brian was still missing, and like I had said before, Alexis still went to the airport hoping that Brian would show up for the flight to Miami. But when the plane started to board, there was still no sign of Brian anywhere. So after the police had been notified about Brian's disappearance, around 50 officers would scour the streets of Columbus looking for Brian, knocking on doors, checking dumpsters, landfills, riverbanks, and even sewer lines. But once again, still no sign of Brian. 
A few weeks after Brian had gone missing, Brian's apartment would get broken into, where the thieves would make off with a TV and some DVDs. But what's interesting about the break-in is that the thieves left all of Brian's possessions that had any real value, such as his guitars and jewelry. Also, it was reported that day that two other apartments in the same area were broken into. So at the time, it looks like the break-in and Brian's disappearance most likely aren't connected, but I've certainly been wrong before. So as the search for Brian continued, a few months later, word had spread about Brian's disappearance, even so much that at a concert in Cincinnati, lead singer for Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, brought attention to Brian's disappearance. But, uh, yes! is here. Uh, last April, this last April, uh, a young man named Brian Schaefer kind of went missing. He's, uh, he looks like he's in his 20s. He's a uh, 6'2", real handsome guy. And uh, he's got a Pearl Jam tattoo on his upper right arm. And uh, he's going to med school. Uh, you may have heard about this already. If you, if you have, I apologize, but I, I don't think it would do any harm to, uh, to bring it again to everybody's attention. If you have, if you look into this, uh, it's out there, uh, findbrianschafer.com, that's his name, Brian Schaefer. And uh, it feels like he's one of our own. And uh, if you have any information, uh, there is a reward, but you can also remain anonymous by calling uh, Crime Stoppers Ohio. Uh, there's information on NBC4. And uh, like I said, he's a... Uh, He's one of us, and, uh, and uh, we miss him here tonight, and uh, hopefully we can have a happy ending to this. So with no luck to any possible leads in Brian's disappearance, Brian's girlfriend Alexis would continue to call Brian's phone every day to hear his voice on his voicemail, all the while hoping for an answer from Brian. And then on one day in September, six months after Brian's disappearance, Alexis would call Brian's phone, and this time, instead of it going straight to voicemail, Brian's phone would actually start to ring. Unfortunately, Brian would never answer his phone, but this now gave Alexis a possible ray of hope that Brian might be alive somewhere. So Alexis called Randy and her brother to have them call Brian's phone to make sure she just wasn't imagining things, and sure enough, the phone continued to ring that day. Well, it turns out that Brian's phone would ping from a tower close to the town of Hilliard, which is about 11 miles northwest from where Brian was living at the time in Columbus. So after this discovery that Brian's phone may have been turned on, Columbus Police Department investigated the situation, only to come up with an answer that most people still to this day don't entirely agree with. Well, the conclusion that the phone company Singular came up with was that Brian's phone ringing that day was all part of some type of glitch in their system. Therefore, Singular was basically saying that Brian's phone was not turned on by someone, but merely a technical glitch from one of their towers. Well, if it was a glitch in their system, then how did Brian's phone ping for over a month? In my opinion, the cell phone glitch is something that is very plausible, but could have been explained a little bit better, especially since the phone ping had pinged for over a month. Seems like a little bit more than a glitch to me. Also, Brian's phone at the time did not have a GPS system, so it was impossible to tell exactly where Brian's phone would end up. Also, I just want to point out that I found something interesting in researching this cell phone ping. 
and someone had posted that there was a company called eCycle that started in Hilliard in 2005, and what this company did was recycle mobile phones. So, is it possible Brian's phone somehow made its way to that recycling facility in Hilliard? But if that's the case, why and how did Brian's phone make it out there? And could this be a possible reason for why Brian's cell phone was turned on and never found? So it had been over a year in the search for Brian, and during this time as well, Brian's dad Randy would consistently call the Columbus Police Department for any new information on Brian's case. Randy would also pass out thousands of flyers. He even emailed Clinton Meredith numerous amount of times looking for some type of answers from that night. And Randy even took the advice from numerous psychics, but there was still nothing that would help lead Randy Schaefer in finding his son. Then, in September of 2008, tragedy would strike the Schaefer family yet once again. And this time it would be Brian's dad Randy that would lose his life. It was reported that a huge storm had gone through Randy's neighborhood that evening, and that Randy had gone outside at some point to assess the damage from the storm, and that's when a tree branch would snap and hit Randy on his head, knocking him unconscious. But it wouldn't be until the following morning when Randy's neighbor would find Randy lying motionless in his yard, and unfortunately, it had been too late and Randy was already dead. After Randy's passing, a strange message was posted to his online memorial site, and it read, I miss you, Dad. Love, Brian, from the Virgin Islands. Well, this certainly sparked some interest with the family and law enforcement. But after investigating the message, law enforcement found out it was just a hoax from a public computer in the Columbus area. So in about a two-year span, Brian's mother, Renee, would die of cancer. Brian would literally vanish into thin air. And now Randy had passed away from a freak accident. So the Schaefer family had certainly had their fair share of bad luck, and they've now lost three of their four family members, and the only surviving member of the family that would remain was Brian's brother, Derek. Derek has helped in trying to find Brian since he disappeared in 2006, but over the years with no leads and no answers, Derek has pretty much gone quiet in trying to find Brian, and with the loss of the rest of his family, I'm sure it's not something that's easy for Derek to bring up or talk about. So that concludes the story of Brian Schaefer, and now I would like to go ahead and get into some of the speculated theories on what may have happened to Brian Schaefer on April 1st, 2006. Now, the first speculated theory is that Brian Schaefer never made it out of the ugly Tuna Saluna, and this is a thought because of the construction site that surrounded the bar at the time. Brian was never seen by any bar surveillance leaving the bar that night, and again there were no cameras inside the Ugly Tuna at the time. There were exits with cameras in the construction area that Brian may have taken to exit the building, but Brian was never spotted on any of these cameras. Columbus Police Department got a hold of the bar surveillance outside of the front door where we last saw Brian alive, and they were able to account for everyone who walked in and out of the bar that night except for one person, Brian Schaefer. Now, I do think it's important to know there was a backdoor exit for employees and band members, and there was also video surveillance on this door as well. Well, what's interesting about this particular surveillance is that it's never been shown to the public before. Columbus Police Department claims Brian was never seen leaving on this backdoor footage, so earlier on in this case, why did the police show the public the footage of the front door, but not the back? Was there something on that footage police didn't want us to see, or did that footage just not show anything that's relevant to this case? 
Either way, there were other exits Brian may have used to get out of the Ugly Tuna that did not have a camera, so I think it's fair to say that Brian most likely exited the building undetected. Now, there are many people that feel Brian fell victim to an accident in the construction area. It's certainly a plausible theory, being that Brian was drunk and just disappeared into thin air, but law enforcement literally searched everywhere in that building, and they couldn't find anything that says Brian fell down in this construction area. So, in conclusion to this theory, I do feel Brian got out of the building somehow, and he is not in the walls of that building. And in my opinion, there's just not enough evidence to support this theory, though this is a missing persons case with no conclusion, so I guess at this point, anything is still possible, but I do feel this theory is the most unlikely in this case. Now moving on to the second theory that most people have in Brian's disappearance, and this theory is that Brian wanted to leave the ugly tuna undetected that night because he wanted to take off and just start a new life. Now as crazy as it sounds, there have been people known to leave their old life behind and start a new one, and I think this theory is actually very plausible given some of the circumstances. Brian had just lost his mother to cancer, which was a very big blow to Brian at that time. He was in med school, which I'm sure is a ton of stress and pressure on its own, and at one point, Brian had also mentioned to his girlfriend at the time, Alexis, to move on from him, and Brian's real dream was to sit on an island, play music, and drink margaritas. So there are some things that point to why Brian may have just taken off, but there are also a few reasons why I don't think Brian did just that. When Brian disappeared, his family kept his cell phone service and credit cards on for a while, but this entire time there was no activity from Brian whatsoever. One reason I don't think Brian just took off is, if Brian just wanted to start a new life and play music on a beach somewhere, then why would Brian leave his nice expensive guitars behind in his apartment? Another reason, Brian and Alexis had a vacation planned in Miami that following Monday that he disappeared. Seems like an odd time to go off the grid, especially since their vacation was coming up a few days later. Last reason I have is before Brian had disappeared that night, Brian had already made plans to meet up with some old friends at his apartment after the bar. Certainly seems like an odd thing to do and invite your friends over to your apartment for after hours and instead just decide to take off and start a new life. In conclusion to this theory, over the past 15 years there have been a few potential sightings of Brian, but every time it's come back as someone else. I do think it's very possible that Brian left on his own accord, but he really did leave so much behind, and in my opinion, it really just doesn't make sense to me. There are a lot of people out there, including some law enforcement, that think Brian is still alive and living amongst us today. And as much as I respect their optimism, I just don't feel Brian would be able to continue this secret without some type of slip-up. Now moving on to the last main theory in Brian's disappearance, most people believe that Brian did in fact somehow leave the Ugly Tuna that night, and this time, people speculate Brian fell victim to foul play on his way home. I think it's very plausible that Brian ran into some kind of trouble on his way home, and I have a few scenarios that could fit into this theory. In my first scenario, I have Brian leaving the Ugly Tuna Saluna and headed home, and this is when I think it's possible that Brian became a victim of an accident, such as a hit and run. I think it may have been some type of accident where someone did not have malicious intent in harming Brian, and whoever hit Brian disposed of his body while covering their tracks, and now they've kept their dark secret for the past 15 years. The reason I think this is possible is because Brian's finances were never touched after he vanished, this telling me that it most likely wasn't some type of robbery. Also, Brian's apartment wasn't broken into until weeks after his disappearance, and even then the culprit stole nothing of value. 
In my second scenario, I have Brian leaving the bar, and I do speculate that it's possible that Brian met foul play, resulting from some type of altercation or fight, and things went too far. People that knew Brian said he had a little bit of a smart mouth on him at times, so I do think it's possible he may have mouthed off to someone and things escalated from there, resulting in a fatal injury. Then whoever was responsible for Brian's injuries most likely panicked and decided to dispose of his body, and much like the first scenario, they were able to keep a dark secret for many years. Now for my last scenario on the foul play theory, I again speculate that Brian left the bar, but this time I speculate it's possible that the foul play may have come from someone Brian knew. Now there's nothing out there I could find that points guilt towards anyone Brian knew, but there are a few things I found that could point to money being the reason for Brian's disappearance. When Brian disappeared, he was in line to receive around $20,000 from the insurance money for his mother's death which Brian would never end up receiving because of his disappearance. The insurance money was split up three ways. 50% of the money was awarded to the father, Randy, and then the other 50% would be split amongst Brian and his younger brother, Derek. Well, it turns out that Randy was not happy about the money being split amongst them, and Randy felt he should have received 100% of the money. No one knew that Brian's mother, Renee, was going to split the money the way she did, but when she found out that Randy had another girlfriend while she was literally lying on her deathbed, Renee then decided to give the 50% of the money to her boys instead of giving Randy 100%. Now, remember, Brian's funds were never touched after he disappeared, and strangely nothing of value was really stolen from his apartment during the break-in, so it starts to make me think if it was foul play, there has to be a reason why, and sometimes following the money is a good place to start. Also, Randy Schaefer did do an interview on a show called Missing Pieces back on October 23, 2007, and I found something interesting Randy said during the interview about the polygraph he took, and I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. Now, the grammar is a little bit off on this transcript, so I'm just going to read it directly from the transcript. Randy states, So I did a polygraph test. Supposedly police thought this would maybe convince Clint to do one if I did one, but it didn't. One of the questions law enforcement asked, they said someone sent a tip that we were in cahoots about collecting victims' insurance. Naturally, it raised a needle on the thing. When he asked me, he said you did pretty good, but it raised the needle on that one question. What would you think? That's ridiculous. If the needle went up and down, it's because I'm pissed as hell. I'm outraged that somebody could say something like that. People are so cruel. Now, we all know that polygraphs measure heart rate, blood pressure, etc., and not if someone is lying. So I think it's fair to say here that Randy was just thrown off by the insurance money question, and that's why the needle would jump. But in my opinion, it is still a little interesting given the amount of true crime cases that do end up revolving around insurance money. In conclusion to the foul play, I do find this theory to be the most plausible theory in this case thus far, but it is a hard theory to consider being that Brian was never seen on any surveillance leaving the area, and no one we know ever witnessed Brian that night after he went back into the Ugly Tuna Saluna one last time. So in concluding this episode, there are many theories out there as to what may have happened to Brian Schaefer on April 1st, 2006, and with such little evidence to go off of in this case, the big question still remains 15 years later. What did happen to Brian Schaefer? Did Brian just take off to start a new life? Is Brian buried somewhere in the walls of the old Ugly Tuna Saluna? 
or did Brian meet some type of foul play on his way home from the bar? I think the secret that has to do with what happened to Brian Schaefer is definitely out there somewhere, and hopefully Brian or someone who knows will come forward one day and give the rest of the Schaefer family some peace and closure in all of this. If Brian is alive today, he would now be 42 years old. Brian is 6'2", he has brown hair, and also has a Stickman Pearl Jam tattoo on his upper right arm. Ryan has a huge group of great supporters that are still searching for him every day. So if you or anyone you know has any information on Brian Schaefer's disappearance, please contact the Columbus Police Department or the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers to submit your tips. I do want to thank everyone again for tuning into my podcast, and the next case I will be covering is the mysterious disappearance of 9-year-old Asia Degree who went missing one night on February 14th, 2000, and still to this day a body has never been found and Aisha's case still remains unsolved to this day. So again, thank you everyone for listening, and of course, my always friendly reminder, love everyone, but trust no one. I am your host Drew V, and you've been listening to Drew Crime.